Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 8, 20-32, called The Coming Swarm. Spurgeon says, when it pleases God by his judgments to humble men, he is never at a loss for means he can use, lions or lice, famines or flies. In the armory of God, there are weapons of every kind, from the stars in their courses to the caterpillars in the hosts. And you can fill up in everything in between. God does not have a shortage of things that he could use. And it's something that we should be thinking about because Jesus Christ holds everything together. Many mysteries, including in the scientific minds about how things hold together in our universe. And it's held together by the power of God. And if God were to let go, it would be an ugly, ugly scene. And things that we take for granted, even in the delicate balance of the universe and so forth, we should not. And even in the way that our bodies work is really amazing. And so the swarm would come. The Septuagint has it as a dog fly. The Hebrew word is arob, A-R-O-B. And it's some sort of pest destroying things. And I think we have one more slide back there. Let me just show you. Uh, There's another group of photos I wanted to show you. And this is, so what they found in um, ancient Egypt in the tombs is little amulets. And the amulets reflected these Egyptian gods And this is the scarab. And so you can see it's uh, on the one to the far right. It's uh, connected to the ankh, which is supposed to represent life. So sometimes you see people wearing something that looks like a cross and it's not. It's actually the ankh. It's an Egyptian symbol. And it was often amalgamated with the beetle. And so the beetle and uh, the scarab and then the god Ra were connected and the sun pointed to life and So this is, they even pulled these out of the uh, tombs with the Egyptian mummies, and these things were often connected to the chest of the mummy. And so these uh, particular creatures, John J. Davis connects the fourth plague to the uh, Ichneumon fly, which deposits eggs of other living things, and which the Egyptians considered a manifestation of the god Uetiket, Others argue that the flies were really flying beetles, also known as scarabs. Scarabs apparently frequently on Egyptian, were found frequently on Egyptian monuments, mummies, charms, and amulets. The scarab was sacred to the Egyptians. Now listen to this. They had observed industrious beetles forming animal dung into round spheres that they rolled back into their holes in the ground. They soon made a connection in their minds between the spheres of dung and the sun in the sky and conceived the idea that a giant beetle rolled the sun from evening until morning through the underworld until the sunrise brought it back into the sky once more. Thus, the scarab became an emblem of the sun, which for the Egyptians represented eternity and the abiding life of the soul. Not surprisingly, the god of resurrection, who was called Kepperer, was depicted as a beetle. (laughs) The god of resurrection is a beetle. I knew the beetles were famous for a reason. 
She loves you, yeah, yeah. Sorry, anyway. So as bizarre as we might see this, have you noticed that people have a lot of bizarre things in their businesses and in their homes? Things that they think will protect them, things that they think will impart life or good luck or whatever it might be, necklaces that you wear, you know, charms and amulets that you think might, you know, give you a little bit of uh, protection from the darkness, even the uh, idea of trick-or-treating and people dressing up like uh, dark figures all connected to a night when it, the the spirit world was supposed to invade the earth on October 31st. This is what people do. And they, they did it in the ancient world and they still do it today, just in different forms. Have you noticed the kinds of books that sell like hotcakes in the bookstores? Just do this and you'll get this. Just pull this lever and you'll get this. Oh yeah, wear this and you'll get this. That's what people do. Another possibility is that the plague of flies was directed against Beelzebub, which means Lord of the Flies. Some Egyptians worshipped Beelzebub as their protector and guardian. Since his role, listen, was to protect their land from swarms of flies and other natural disasters. He was supposed to be Lord of the Flies. He functioned as a sort of insurance policy. If anything, Beelzebub was a representation of Satan's power over Egypt. I want you to see God's sense of humor here. What does God do? He allows the symbol of their uh, idea of insurance policy and eternal life to invade their land in such numbers that it becomes an absolute nightmare. What they looked to for life brought heavy inconvenience into their life. They had to stare their gods in the face, so to speak, (laughs) on their person, everywhere, stepping on them, crunch, oh no, I crunched another one. This is what God did. And there is humor in this to say, okay, as Spurgeon put it, Oh, Egypt, here are your gods in great numbers. Is this what you believe in? This what you wear around your neck? Okay, they're going to join you for about a week in massive numbers. So you can stare at what your gods are. And I think what God is saying is, I want you to step back, Egypt, and stare for a moment in close proximity at what you trust of what it's come down to since you've rejected me and you worship the creature rather than the the creator who's blessed forevermore, I'll let you hang with the creature for a while. So you can get a close-up look and a taste at what they'll do for you, which is nothing but cause you more problems and even become a picture of the power of Satan. And here's something else interesting, and this is unique to this plague. It says... They're going to come, 21, the insects on your servants, on your people, into your houses. They'll be on you in your houses. They're going to be on the ground. But on that day, look at 22, I will set apart the land of Goshen. That's where Israel uh, landed and dwelt even back in the time of Joseph. Where my people are living so that no swarms of insects will be there. In order that you may know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of the land. Now, in looking at where Goshen was located, uh, I was reading a commentator this week, and he said, most likely in the eastern delta region, so that Israel's location within Egypt was somewhere in the center of the nation. 
which is quite interesting because sometimes when you hear about a distinction between Israel and Egypt, you kind of get this visual in your mind that somehow Israel was off in some corner of Egypt and was blocked out from the plagues and then everything else was over here. And it's still a miracle, but apparently they resided right in the center of the nation. And yet in this particular instance, in this plague, they would not be touched by it. Some of you may be asking the question, does that mean that the other plagues touched them? We don't know for sure. This is the first time that God has articulated that this won't come near his people. Maybe uh, Israel experienced minor inconvenience. We don't know for sure. But this is the first time God says Goshen will have no insects. They'll all be in the Egyptian areas in the Egyptian households. I want you to think of the irony. The gods that Egypt worships, life and protection from terrible swarms of insects, are all on them. And if they look over to Goshen, there's the Israelites walking around. <whistles> what a beautiful day. Nothing buzzing my way. <laughs> and you're like, hey! <laughs> Sorry for that morning song, but I know. You guys are getting used to the early service. <laughs> and you look over to the Israelites, this desert God that they believe in, and nothing's bugging them. And our gods that are supposed to protect us from the swarms are everywhere. And God is giving a message that I hope you can see. You've trusted in the wrong thing, Egypt. You've trusted in the wrong thing, Pharaoh. How many more times do you need to see that I am God? Now, as I mentioned last week, God will protect us from the things that ultimately bug and swarm this world. Although, I will say, if the first three plagues did affect Israel, we will say that the church in, let's just think about the last year, has not been uh, you know, immune to what's happened in this world. Uh, sometimes I, I wonder how many times God has saved me from things that I don't even know. Amen. How many times he may have healed my body and I, don't, I didn't even know what he did. But I'm thinking about ultimate things too. Like, you know, the Egyptians were thinking about eternal life and the beetle and stuff. And, you know, Jesus looked at the apostles when a bunch of people walked away and Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away? And Peter said, Lord, where are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You alone have those words. Not any other false god or goddess. And there are many people walking around who think they're going to find life maybe in their good works, maybe in their karma. 1 John 5.13 says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Jesus said, this is eternal life. Or, I'm sorry, looking, thinking of John Three, this is the judgment that light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. This is the condemnation. And so this is what you need to see, I think, in this particular plague. You're watching life and protection uh, in God's covenant people, protected from the storm or the swarm. And you're watching Egypt, a type of the world, under the judgment of God. And this is what Exodus is conveying. It's a book about salvation, but the opposite of salvation is what? Condemnation. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Hello, I'm Rob Newton, the producer of Walk in Truth. You know, since we began on this journey of reaching out with God's truth to all people, we have grown to be on seven radio stations, one in Southern California, one in Northern California in the Bay Area, Arizona, Idaho, Utah, and two in Georgia reaching people from all walks of life and faiths. In addition, we have listeners all over the world like in South Africa, Nepal, Australia, the United Kingdom, Pakistan, and Israel thanks to our podcast. The country where we have the second most listeners is India. Fewer than 3% of the population are Christians there. The hope of the gospel is getting around. If you are a financial partner, thank you for recognizing the importance of Walk in Truth by giving at least $5 a month and for praying for people's lives to be changed through hearing and responding to the messages aired each week. Through our partnership together, Walk in Truth has been able to carry God's message of hope to thousands of listeners who may be feeling stress, confusion, and hopelessness, and also contributing to the joy in learning God's Word and feeling Him close. Walk in Truth's total budget for radio airtime, promotion, equipment, supplies, and staffing is over $150,000 a year. Our goal has always been to become 100% listener-supported and expand into more radio stations as God provides. Our current level of listener financial support has grown to nearly 35%, and we are praying for more listeners to become part of the Walk in Truth team. Can you become a Walk in Truth partner, or can you give a one-time tax-deductible Christmas gift today? Please help us reach 50% listener support before the year ends. Call 844-48-TRUTH to give or visit walkintruth.com. That's 844-488-7884. 844-488-7884. One more time, 844-488-7884 or visit walkintruth.com. And Merry Christmas. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. And, you know, Jesus looked at the apostles when a bunch of people walked away, and Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away? And Peter said, Lord, where are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You alone have those words. Not any other false god or goddess. And there are many people walking around who think they're going to find life maybe in their good works, maybe in their karma. 1 John 5.13 says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Jesus said, this is eternal life. Or, I'm sorry, looking, thinking of John Three, this is the judgment that light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. This is the condemnation. And so this is what you need to see, I think, in this particular plague. You're watching life and protection uh, in God's covenant people, protected from the storm or the swarm. And you're watching Egypt, a type of the world, under the judgment of God. And this is what Exodus is conveying. It's a book about salvation. But the opposite of salvation is what? Condemnation. And you can look at John 3, 36, that those who don't believe in the Son are condemned already. I know it's not popular, 
But it's what Jesus said, and it's what the Bible said. I will, says, I will, on that day, 22, set apart NIV, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people are living, so that no swarms of insects will be there, in order that you may know. I want you to see it's the purpose of God's glory. You could even call it evangelistic. That you may know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of the land. I will set apart the land of Goshen. I will deal differently with the land. In fact, this is a word in Hebrew that speaks of redemption. It's, I will make a redemption between your people and my people. That is, my people are going to be set apart as redeemed, your people set apart as condemned. And that's the distinction. And there's a day coming, brethren, when we will be counted. People get ready. Jesus is coming. Don't you know there's a day when we will be counted? I remember years ago going to the Harvest Crusades when they were first starting out and little Crystal Lewis would come out and they would start that song. People get ready. Jesus is coming. Soon we'll be going home. And she would belt it out and she would go into these high notes. There's a day when we will be counted. Jesus put it this way. I will separate the sheep from the goats. And to be saved is to be set apart for God's purposes. I want you to hold your place in Exodus and go to Psalm 91. Psalm 91, uh, most scholars believe, was written by Moses. We studied it as we were going through the early days of COVID and all of that stuff. We found some refuge and hope in it. It's written by Moses. Keep that in mind. And I think you're going to see some beautiful connections to this distinction that God makes as he sets apart Israel. Psalm 91, one, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, Psalm 91, two, in whom I trust. It is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night, verse 5, or the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not, what? Approach you or come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, notice, nor will any plague come near your tent. He will give your angels, his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. Back to Exodus chapter 8. Did Moses have this plague in mind? Probably. I will put a division, 23, Exodus 8. Literally a a redemption between my people and your people. Tomorrow the sign shall occur. You like tomorrow, Pharaoh, that's what you chose when the frogs were going to go away. Tomorrow, only one more night with Froggy. Okay, tomorrow the swarms are coming. These are two verses to write down for your notes. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10 says, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, 
Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 through 11 says, Since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. Live a set-apart life because Jesus is coming. And I think in the modern evangelical world, we've kind of lost this, this sense of the second coming of Jesus Christ where he will judge the living and the dead at his appearing. We are to look for the coming of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I don't know how many of us are truly living in the light of his return. It's easy to get distracted. And God says that you may know that I am in the midst of the land, that I am setting apart my people. This will be a sign. So the last days comes to mind. Different positions on, for example, the rapture of the church. Some people hold to a pre-tribulation rapture, some people to a mid, some people hold a pre-wrath view, some people hold a post-tribulation view. In the post-tribulation view, they teach that the church will go through the entire 70th week of Daniel, and that Jesus will return at the end, and that's when he will do the separating, if you will. This one, one person well-known to me that held this view was Dr. Walter Martin. And part of the view is this. That that view holds that when God judges, his people will experience a special protection and being set apart from the world, Egypt, if you will, so that when the plagues of judgment come, they don't touch the people of God. Now that's one view. And you may have wondered, why would someone ever hold a post-tribulation view? Well, that's one way that they kind of walk it out is they believe there will be a parallel between what happened in Egypt and how Israel was supernaturally protected and what will happen in the last days. You've been listening to The Coming Swarm, Part 2 on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus chapter 8, verses 20 through 32. Hey, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, our Living Truth app is the one with the red logo with the pillars. You can learn more about Living Truth Christian Fellowship, the church behind Walk in Truth, where Pastor Michael serves as senior pastor. If you're local to Southern California, the app gives you updates and information about upcoming Bible studies, free events, and services, both for you and your kids, like our annual Harvest Festival coming later this month. If you live outside of Southern California, you can still benefit from the Living Truth app. You can listen or watch Pastor Michael's previous teachings, and you can contact the church if you have any questions or comments. Download the free Living Truth app in your app store. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word before we go. You know, sometimes when we look at a person like the Pharaoh, we might say his anger is a bit misplaced, isn't it? Shouldn't he be angry at his own gods? (laughs) You know, for all the stuff that is happening and he's not being protected, why is his anger misplaced? You know, we can think about anger in this life, and sometimes we are disappointed by what goes on. And we, when we are, we might get angry with God. 
maybe you're angry with God right now. Um, you know, that you wouldn't be the first person who was frustrated or angry. But I guess we have to ask the question, why are we angry? What is it that isn't going the way that we would hope that it would go? Do we have expectations of the Lord that we're only going to follow him when he does what we want? But some of these can be, I know, deep hurts. And the Pharaoh is certainly in the middle of his own personal crisis. And where will he turn? Well, we know the Pharaoh won't turn to the God of the Bible. And I guess the question we have to wrestle with, whether we say we're a Christian or not, uh, but let's just assume for a moment that you're a professing Christian, is when the trials come, does it cause you to turn back to God? And you might say, well, eventually, sometimes I whine and pout, and <laughs> then I turn back to God. I feel you. And and look, we all we all can understand that. We've all probably been there. But my encouragement is to turn to your great high priest, Jesus Christ. He's merciful, empathetic. Read Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. You get a great picture of his throne of grace and mercy. He's always willing to pour out more and more grace and mercy. Lord willing, we'll see you right here tomorrow. And don't forget, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station and provide the podcast for free. Also, more people like you can dive deeper into the Word of God and apply it to their life. Please consider becoming a Walk in Truth monthly partner of at least $5 a month, or you can give a one-time gift. Visit walkintruth.com to give. And thank you. And join us tomorrow for part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 8, 20-32, called The Coming Swarm. Hi, Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.